Welcome to the Marriage Today podcast. I'm Karen. This is Jimmy. We're so glad that you're here with us. We're talking about the issue of faith. I am Abraham. Mm -hmm. This program today, we're going to go to the teaching here in just a few minutes, talk about waiting on the promises of God, how God gave Abraham and Sarah a promise of a son and how they didn't deal with it in such a good way. And it delayed the promise coming true. So we're talking about mm -hmm. how to wait on the promises of God. But first we have some questions. If you have a question you want to submit to us here, uh, as we answer these here on the podcast, go to marriagetodaypodcast.com and submit your question. We would love to answer here on the podcast. Let me ask the, you a question first from one of our viewers. In my group of girlfriends, several, several of them share about frustrations they have with their husbands. I don't talk negatively about my husband to others because I truly want to honor him. Where's the line between being vulnerable with your friends and being dishonoring to your spouse? That's a good, great question. But it sounds like she's already, her, what she's doing is producing, I can promise you something in them that notices that she doesn't talk bad. Yeah. Because, you know, when we're, I, I know for myself, if I've been in a group of girls and they're all, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if I don't, I can see in them that it's affecting them. That, yeah. you know, good behavior, when you're doing the right thing, then the, the behavior is not doing the right thing. They start seeing that, yeah. and so just be encouraged that you know the way you're doing it is helping them, yeah. and that you you can still be vulnerable with your friends without worrying about if you have to talk bad about your husband. And I think the fact that she wants to honor him and not bring up stuff is good. And you know, just sometimes when I'm in an awkward conversation, I just know how to get get around and change the subject. You know, just find a way to just bring up something else and get them well, off that subject. Well, there's there's griping mm -hmm. and there's counseling. Mm -hmm. And if you're having a problem with your husband and you go and you just gripe to your friends, that produces nothing. It, well, and your friends, that's how they view your husband. That's exactly and so right. They, and they can't get that image out of their head. That's exactly <laughs> right. And the same is true with your parents. Mm -hmm. You tell your parents and you go gripe. Mm-hmm. Counseling is going to get help. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with going to get help. If, if there's something wrong in your marriage and you feel like you need to go talk to a counselor and just say, my husband's a knucklehead and he does this, this, and this, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And then you follow with the advice. That's a good thing. But just to take the problems of your home and go cough them up uh, with your friends is, is not wise. I think I think what this woman's doing is very wise here. Me too. Okay, I have a fear of telling my wife how I really feel about the state of our marriage because I think she will blame me for our problems. I know I'm far from per perfect, but I keep trying with little or no recognition from her. How do I overcome this fear and share honestly with her? Well, in, uh, in a marriage, there needs to be the right to complain to your spouse without paying a price. Mm -hmm. In, a, in a, a healthy marriage, there's mm -hmm. not a fear of honesty. Yeah. In an unhealthy marriage, there's just this fear that if I really open up to you, you're going to turn on me. Mm -hmm. Now, when I hear this question, what I think is you need counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, go to your church. Go find a Christian counselor. We have marriage mediators here as a part of XO Marriage. Uh, in Marriage Today, where we help people, you can just go on xomarriage.com, and our mediators is a part of our website there, but we have counseling, Zoom counseling. If you don't live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we have physical counseling. If you live in this area, when you have a problem beyond your ability to deal with, it's not weakness to get help. It's wisdom to get help. Everybody, everybody has issues they can't deal with on their own. Mm -hmm. And so um, maybe it is your fault. Maybe, maybe it's 60% your fault, 40% her fault. But when you get into a situation in your marriage where you can't work it out on your own, go get help. 
but you should not have a fear of sharing with your spouse the, and, and getting help in your marriage will help to alleviate that fear mm-hmm. and get you on the right track. We hope that's helpful to you. We're going to this teaching right now and uh, on I Am Abraham, the importance of our faith and waiting on God's promises. We hope this is a blessing to you. Karen and I got married. A week after we got married, I was uh, in the backyard of our house. I mean, I was a very rough guy two weeks before that. Karen told me she wouldn't marry me because of how immoral I was. So this is two weeks later. I've been saved for two weeks. We've been married for a week. And I'm sitting in the backyard of our house and a sheet dropped in front of my face and I could see myself preaching to a multitude of people. And that's when God called me to preach. And from that moment forward, it, the desire to preach burned within me. It would be nine years. And, the, and when the Lord called me to preach, here's what he said to me when I saw that sheet drop down in front of me. What the Lord said to me is, you will not go to seminary. It's like that, on the emphasis on the word not. Now, I was in a denomination at that time that if you didn't go to seminary, you had a 0% chance of preaching any church. So when the Lord said that to me, it made no sense to me whatsoever. And so for nine years, I came on staff at Trinity from business. I wanted to business with my mom and dad. And so nine years later, I came on staff here at Trinity and in a, in a very surprising way, I had no idea that I was going to come on staff. It was a very surprising thing for me. But let me say, it was nine years of excruciating wait, and I almost created an Ishmael. And I'll tell you that story in just a minute. Our daughter, Julie, you know, has been married to her husband, Corey, I think for about 20 years now. And um, they have twin girls. But they had fertility issues. When Julie and Corey tried to have children, they couldn't. And for three years, they tried uh, to, to get pregnant and, and they couldn't. And they went through, you know, one of those kinds of things that if any of you have had fertility issues, it's just every, every month is just, a, you know, another uh, time of waiting and hoping and believing. And every month it doesn't happen. It's more, you know, turmoil and torment. And Julie said, I talked to her and what I'm saying, I'm saying by permission from her. But Julie said it was a struggle. Every Mother's Day was a struggle. Every time a woman got pregnant and had a child, it was a struggle. She said, I wondered if God loved us. I wondered if God was punishing us. You know, she said, but, but we had a word, Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all he can think or ask. And she said, we hung on that word and we prayed and constantly believed in God, even though it was a struggle. And then they had twin girls, our granddaughters, Abby and Elle. Brent and Stephanie, our son and daughter-in-law, I think they've been married about 17 years. And they tried to have kids also and had fertility issues. And they tried for four years before they had Kate, their first girl, our our granddaughter. And um, again, very, you know, just going through the turmoil of trying to have children. We prayed, Julian, Corey, and Brent, Stephanie, we prayed with them all the time, talked with them all the time. And the same kinds of issues that they went through. And Brent, Stephanie believed God had spoken to them that they were going to have a child. And they hung on to that word and believed for that word. And they had Kate, and then they tried to get pregnant again. Same thing again. They had to wait three years more to get our grandson, Reed. And then without praying, they got another baby, Luke. Bonus baby. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, when we're walking by faith, we can't see it. But, But understand this, when you wait properly, you get to see it. Number one reason of waiting is practical preparation. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth and I want you to build an ark. Okay. And so it took many, many years. We don't know, maybe up to a hundred years 
for Noah to build the ark. But the point is, there was a long wait. But let, let me ask you this question. What would have happened if God would have sent the flood and the ark wasn't ready? They would have died. If Noah and his family were half finished with the ark and God sent the promise. See, he saved Noah and his family. It was a good thing for them, as long as the ark was ready. God isn't going to release a promise into your life that you're not ready for. He's not going to harm you with a promise. If God sends a promise into our life that we're not ready for, it's going to hurt us and we're going to hurt it. When God called me to preach at 19 years old, I didn't know one Bible verse, not one. I didn't know where the book of Genesis was. When Karen and I went to church the first time after we got saved and got married, I, we had a Bible with us and the pastor would say, turn to so-and-so verse. And so I would just turn my eyes and look down the aisle at someone hopefully knew what they were doing. And I would just kind of look how far they turned into the Bible and that's what I would do. But I began to study the Bible. And over the nine years that I waited to go into the ministry, I read through the Bible many times. I read hundreds of books on the Bible knowing that I couldn't go to seminary and God was preparing me for that. But the point is this, you want a preacher that knows the Bible, right? It's kind of practical preparation. If God's gonna use you to preach, you would know the Bible, right? So God was using those nine years in my life to lay a biblical foundation so I could stand up and preach and not hurt somebody. So when you're waiting, sometimes God's saying, prepare. I, you're not prepared. It's just a very practical thing. If you want me to bring you a spouse, if you want me to take you to a higher level financially, if you want me to release to you, you know, a, a greater uh, sphere of influence, prepare yourself. What do you need? If I release that today, what do you need for me to be able to release it and for you to be ready? It's a very practical thing. And the Lord will speak those things to us if we ask him. Number two is character and maturity development. This is Joseph. God gave Joseph dreams at 13 years old, but he wasn't ready. And so at 13 years old, God, Joseph has dreams that his mother and father and brothers are going to bow down and serve him. Okay. Well, so Joseph at 17 gets the dreams. They're not fulfilled for 13 years. It's going to be 30 years old that those dreams are fulfilled. Well, what is God doing in Joseph's life during those 13 years? Maturity and character. He's going to be the ruler of the world under Pharaoh. He has got to have the character for that. First Peter 4. It says, Beloved, do not, think it a strange, uh, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be, uh, also be glad with exceeding joy. And the Bible says that Jesus learned through the things he suffered. But it says, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Let me explain the word try. It's also the word test. Okay. God doesn't test us so we will fail. The devil tempts us so we will fail. The de God never tempts us. God tests us to show us where we are. When God puts us in a, in a difficult situation in life, it just reveals our character. It's like toothpaste. When you squeeze it, what's in there comes out. When we're in difficulty, what's in there comes out. And God doesn't want us to fail. It's like when Peter denied Jesus. Well, 40 days later, he is the preeminent, preeminent apostle. And so he's not, he's not testing us to disqualify us. He's simply testing us so that we can see where we are and what we need to be working on. An example is Joseph had a big mouth, okay? He was a good young man, and God gave him these dreams, and he had 11 brothers. So Joseph has 11 brothers, and he goes up to his brothers and said, yeah, I had the dream last night that all of y'all were going to serve me. I have two older brothers. I'm telling you, that's not a good idea. 
He had 11. That's not a good idea. You don't go to your brothers and brag that one day they're going to serve you. Don't do that. So they beat him up and throw him into a pit. Well, his mouth dug that pit. His brothers didn't dig that pit. His big mouth dug that pit. And one of the interesting things that happened when Joseph got thrown in that pit is he shut his mouth. And that's exactly what the Lord was saying to him. Now, I want you to listen to me. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That our tongue is disproportionate. Our tongue has a greater influence over our lives than any other member of our bodies. Okay. Let me say this. God's not going to bring you a destiny that you're going to destroy with your mouth. God was severe with me about my mouth. I destroyed my wife with my mouth. I destroyed my marriage with my mouth. I had a terrible mouth when Karen and I got married. And when I was angry, I would use my mouth against her. God was severe with me about my mouth. Why would God be so severe with me about my mouth? Because millions of people are going to hear my voice this week. Listen to me. God wants to use your mouth to heal. The devil wants to use your mouth to destroy. And you decide who's going to work in your mouth. And if you're believing for something great, if you're believing for something important in your future, this is a big deal. And when God comes to Joseph to prepare him to ascend the throne and to rule the world, the first thing he does is he gets thrown into a pit and the Lord says, close it. Close it. Stop using that mouth to brag and to make yourself look good and to put other people down. You change the way you talk. Let me say, this, this was something that God did in my life. We say, well, why did, why did God wait for nine years, Jimmy, to bring you into the ministry? Number one was so I could just learn the Bible and prepare. Number two, so I could learn to shut this thing right here. And when I open it, to open it and to speak as the Lord wants me to speak. And that was one of the most important lessons that I learned. Okay, so, but not just our mouths, our character in general. Our character is the foundation upon which God puts the promises, especially the bigger promises. And just like you don't build a superstructure until you build the substructure, before God builds up, he digs down into our character. And every character decision that I make is a step toward the promise. Every time that God is wanting me to, to make a character decision and I say yes, it's a step toward the promise. So we're not waiting on nothing. We're not waiting on nothing. Let me say this another way. When we're waiting on God, he's waiting on us. And many times we're frustrated with the Lord. We're saying, Lord, when? And that's what, that's what, when? When, Lord? Exactly, when? When are you going to make the decision I want you to make? I'm ready to give you the promise, but you're not ready. Your character is not ready. Patience in God's timing is another reason that we wait. A very famous waiter, Jesus, waited 17 years. So Luke 2, this is when Jesus turned 13 years old. He had become a man. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. He said to them, why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? They did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Jesus is 13 years old. His parents have come to Jerusalem for the, the festivals, for the feast. And Jesus, without telling his parents, stays back in the temple. He's 13 years old. He's a man now. He can make his own decisions. But he never communicates with his family what he's doing. So they find him. You can, any mother here can imagine how frantic Mary was. She is frantically searching for Jesus everywhere. They finally find him in the temple. And when they find him in the temple, they walk in and say, Son, honey, what are you doing to us? And here's what Jesus said. Why did you come looking for me? 
Don't you know that I must, I must be about my father's business? Really? Wow. Sounds like you need, you're needed right now. 17 years later, Jesus goes to the ministry. His mother says, come with me. Just like this, standing at the edge of the temple. Women couldn't go in. Come. Looked at mo- uh, looked at mothers give you that could scare the devil out of the devil. Jesus goes home for 17 years. See, sometimes the reason that we're waiting is we're not going God's feet. Listen, when you're driven, it means God's not in the driver's seat. When you have to have it, it means God's not a part of the process. I was so impetuous. I was so, when God called me to the ministry, I wanted it right then. And so God said, you will not go to seminary. And I thought, okay, that's right. You know, I can process that. I'm not going to go to seminary, but whatever. So one day I was watching, it'd been like five years later. I was like 24, 25 years old. And I was watching TV and it was a a church service. It was a church in Oklahoma. And they had this ad uh, about this church. And they said, well, we have a Bible school that we train people for ministry. And I thought, oh, Bible school, that's great. And they said, if, if ministry, if seminary is not for you, if you can't go to seminary, then you can come here and go through Bible school. I said, did you just say, if you can't go to seminary, this Bible school's for you? And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't go to seminary, but I can go to Bible school. I need to prepare for the ministry. And I said, Karen, we're going to Oklahoma. And I said, I, there is a Bible school. God told me I couldn't go to seminary, but I can go to Bible school. I, this, is, this is for people who can't go to seminary. This is why they built it. So I called the guy at the, at the Bible school there in Oklahoma City, and I talked to him, and I told him all my situation. He said, uh, Jimmy, we built this place for people just like you. And I said, well, let me just tell you something. I'm very interested. This is what I've been waiting for. And he said, well, let me say, he said, I've got some things for you to fill out. I've got some information about the Bible school. I've got it in my hand right now. And when we hang up, I'm going to put it in the mail. And I said, would you please send it to me because I'm very interested in it. I want to show my wife this information. He said, I've got it in my hand. He said, when we hang up the phone, it's going in the mail and I'll send it to you. That was like on a Friday. And I said, great, great. Thank you so much. Hung up the phone. I thought, I'm, I'm going to Bible school and I'm going to, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a world famous preacher. I'm going to Bible school. And uh, so that weekend I was praying and, and I prayed this religious prayer that I did not mean a word of. And I said, Lord, if it's your, if it's your will that, we, that I don't go to this Bible school, but I know it is, <laughs> don't let that stuff come in the mail. And I prayed that prayer and I thought, you know, that's just kind of an insurance policy prayer, you know, but it'll come. Well, it didn't come on Monday, but I thought it's Monday. It's just been a few days, but didn't come on Tuesday. I thought, well, that's, mail's a little slow. Didn't come on Wednesday. Slammed the door of the mailbox. Walked in the house. Didn't come on Thursday. Didn't come on Friday. So I had a little talk with God. <laughs> I was furious. And I had never been angry at God before. And here's what I said to the Lord. And I meant it. You kill me. You kill me. Or you take this desire out of my heart. Or you fulfill it. I can't take this anymore. And the Lord said, now you wait. I'm bringing a man that's going to bring you into the ministry. Now you wait. And something inside of me broke. It was this trying to drag God, trying to make God do it in my own timing. And I wasn't ready. When I came in the ministry at 28, I was barely ready. About three or four years later, I was walking down the hall and Larry Titus, the pastor, walked up to me. And I didn't know Larry. 
Larry walked up to me and said, I want you to come in my office just a minute. Walked in his office, he said, I want you to come on staff as a marriage counselor and a pre-marriage counselor. I said, I have absolutely no experience whatsoever in that. He said, everyone in this church comes to you for marriage counseling, you might as well do it up here. Because we had a life group and everybody came to us for marriage counseling. We never told anybody we could help them in marriage. We didn't know why people came to us. I came on staff as a pre-marriage and marriage counselor. 10 months later, he went to Florida and I became the senior pastor of Trinity having never been to seminary or Bible school. But when I was walking down the hall, he talked to me. I was, I was still desirous of ministry, but I had died to this impetuousness. Listen, God's pace is peace. You can't drag Jesus. You, you can't hurry God. And if you're trying to hurry God, it just proves you're not trusting him. What was Jesus doing? Resting. Resigned to wait. Oh, he wanted to go into the ministry. But I'm saying he was resigned to wait. And we're like a bulldog on a leash and God gives us a promise and we're just like, you know, on the edge of the, you know, got our collar, got our eyes are all bugged out, trying to drag God, you know, come on, what's wrong with you? God's saying, you know, I'm really wanting to enjoy this. And you can slow down, but I'm not speeding up. And once you slow down, I might just speed up. But until you're at peace, we're not going forward. Because you're not dragging me. We're going to enjoy this together. For 15 years or so, David waited. As a young boy, God anointed him king. But it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he became king. And he lived during the time of a very evil king, King Saul. Well, what, what was God doing? David was called to be the king of Israel, but he had no experience. And in the years that David waited, he was just gathering experience. He had a ragtag group of guys that he was leading. And he was learning to lead them and fight battles and, and fight the Philistines and to avoid Saul and all of those things. But as David waited, he was learning the skills of leading and fighting and he was growing in favor with the people so that when Saul died, the people of Judah came and said, we wanna make you king. And then ultimately he became the king of all of Israel. So in the wait, we gather experience. I started in the sound booth. Then I was a deacon. Then I was a life group leader. The reason that I'm the pastor of this church is because I was a life group leader in this church. And out of that life group, I learned to teach and preach. And people in the church began to come to us for marriage counseling. In other words, the gift of God that he had put in Karen and me became obvious to people as we gathered experience. So when I stepped into the pulpit for the first time, I had favor. And what, Jesus, what it says about Jesus, when Jesus went home with Mary, the next verse says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I just want to say this very quickly is some people are waiting to be discovered like a movie star is discovered. Is someone just sees you out in public and all of a sudden it's just like, that's not the way God does it. You're going to grow in stature and favor. You're going to gather experience. And when you have that basic level of experience, then God's going to use you. Okay. Number five is deepen faith and dependence upon God. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for Isaac. And it's just such an interesting thing. After all of their weight, God comes to Abraham at 99 years old when it is physically impossible for him to have a child. And God comes to he and Sarah and says, this time next year, you're going to have a child. And they do. And Julie, here's what Julie told me about her three-year wait. And I know that this is true for, for Brent and Stephanie also. Is Julie said, during the three years that I waited for the girls, I learned who God was and who God wasn't. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think knowing God intimately is worth a little bit of waiting? Let, let, me, let me say this. I'm, I'm done. But let me say this. You know what happens if we don't wait? And unbelief won't wait. Faith waits. But when you don't wait, you're not prepared. When you don't wait, your character is not prepared. When you don't wait, you don't learn patience and to wait on God and to trust in God's timing. When you don't wait, you don't gather experience in favor to the right degree. And when you don't wait, you don't have the same relationship with God. And I'm saying, God's always waiting on something. He's never waiting on nothing. And he's not passively waiting. He's actively waiting. And let me, let me close with this, with this comment. He's for you. He's for you. God's, God's not against you. He's for you. Abraham lied. I mean, a big, big lies that sent his wife into another man's house. Abraham created an Ishmael. He stepped out of God's timing and created an Ishmael. And at the end of all of it, God was still for him. And God still brought the promise to pass. You say, well, Jimmy, I've sinned. So have I. Jimmy, I've created some Ishmael. So have I. Okay. But God is still for us. And God will still make the promise come to pass if we'll just put our faith in God and be willing to wait, believing that we're walking by faith today, but we're gonna see it very soon. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.